0: To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this broadcast, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, here's your host from Amazing Facts International, Pastor Doug Batchelor.
1: Hello friends, would you like to hear an amazing fact? If you want to have a dazzling dinner, the most expensive restaurant in the world is Sublimotion. In Ibiza, Spain, at over $2,000 per person, a maximum of 12 guests sit around one table and receive 15 courses of delicious food, plus dessert, prepared by some of the world's best chefs. Of course, the portions are small or you'd be uncomfortably stuffed. The meal is much more than food. The entire room and table is a high-definition screen, making it an immersive experience some courses drop from the ceiling and desserts hover above the table the atmosphere and music of the room will change over the course of the night the result is a spectacular three-hour banquet that takes guests on a sensational journey from a vivid coral reef beneath the ocean to fantasy forests to a futuristic dinner where friends and guests put on these special 3d goggles and i'm wondering if they can do vegan (laughs) do you know the bible says there's one dinner that's even more expensive, and you've been invited for free. Isn't that incredible? Yeah, I was. I'm
2: thinking I'm not taking my wife there for. Her. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you'd probably have to take out a loan
1: to take her to dinner.
2: <laughs> yeah, I went on the website and I noticed they said they don't do uh, take, home, take home. You can't bring a doggy bag. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> so that's amazing. Yeah. What is that free? That free dinner? That free celebration. Yeah,
1: I kind of set that up. The Bible tells us that the best supper in the world and the most expensive supper in the world, of course it's expensive because it costs the life of God's son, but it's free for us in that he's giving it as a gift. So it's very expensive and it's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And you can read about that in Revelation 19, verse 6. This is the last book of the Bible, some of the last chapters. And I heard as it was a voice of a great multitude, And the sound of many waters and the sound of mighty thundering saying hallelujah for the lord god omnipotent reigns let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage supper of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready and to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen clean and bright for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints and then he said to me "Write. blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said, these are the true sayings of God. This is a message directly from the angels to the apostle John telling about this dinner of all dinners that we'll eat. And Jesus even says, and I will come and serve you. Amen. So it's, it's almost incomprehensible.
2: Yes, it's, it's to think that at that moment we should be serving him for all he's
1: done for us. And again, it shows the level of humility. Yeah. God. Even when, you know, when he was on earth, you could kind of understand the condescension of God that he would say, I want to be an example of how you serve each other. But even now that he's in heaven, the idea that he said, I'm, I'm your brother and I want to serve you. And, uh, I'm guessing that somewhere on the table, they're going to have some of the tree of life, uh, maybe a fruit cocktail with 144,000 different refer- a sampler. Varieties. <laughs> Yeah, so I want to be at that dinner. And by the way, friends, uh, we have a free offer tonight that uh, you can ask for that will tell you how you can get your ticket to that uh, special restaurant.
2: Yeah, so the uh, free offer, if you go uh, 1-800-835-6747, it's uh, a free offer number 156, the high cost of the cross, right? So if you're available here in North America and U.S. territories, just call that number 1-800-835-6747. Offer number 156, and we will send that to you for free. So call us.
1: You know, I probably should have said something. Uh, Pastor John Ross is not here tonight. Uh, We gave him a night off because he's at his mother-in-law's birthday party. And if you miss that, you're in trouble. Yeah. And so I'm really glad that uh, Pastor Carlos Munoz is here with us, both evangelist and the director of our Amazing Facts Evangelism training program. And he's a a well-versed expert in scripture. So we're very comfortable working together. We've we did meetings together in Puerto Rico, where yes. you're from. And, and yeah,
2: this is our first time doing BA, BAL together. That's right. You've so, been here
1: before, but with uh, John. we're glad that you're uh, leading out. And maybe before we go to the phones,
2: you could lead us in prayer. Sure. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we... Thank you again for a beautiful day of life, and thank you for this opportunity to come together and spend time in your Word, answering Bible questions, and so we just ask for your divine uh, discernment and wisdom, and with us and with everybody that's calling and listening also, may your Spirit guide us to truth and to live by truth. And so we thank you, Father, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we have the first question here is from Anthony in New York. Anthony, good evening. You're on the air. Good evening, Fathers. How are you doing?
1: Doing great. right? Now, you're talking to two New Yorkers right now, so we, we could probably understand each other without a translator. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Uh, my question tonight is, um,
3: why did uh, Nineveh get a warning to repent or be destroyed, but it appears that Sodom and Gomorrah didn't?
1: Okay, good question, uh, and A a lot of people don't realize Sodom and Gomorrah did get a warning. Uh, Pastor Carlos might look it up for me. But when Lot and his family were carried off by the king shetal from the north, there was a judgment that came on Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham went out and he saved them. And so he saved them. And this was to, you know, urge them to repent of their sins because they had nearly been destroyed. But through Abraham's intercession and God's mercy, they were given another chance. When the judgment finally came uh, in, is it Genesis? 19. Uh, 19, yeah. Then, uh, well, that was because they'd run out of their, you know, God said uh, they, they'd pushed the envelope too far. Yep. So they, they were actually warned and they were, you know, given kind of a chastisement, warning them to turn from their wicked ways, yeah. and they didn't. And Nineveh
2: was warned they repented but later on they went back into their wicked ways
1: the judgment came I think it was a a flood and fire and wars. It just destroyed the city. Yep Very good. Does that help a little Anthony?
2: Yes, it does. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Anthony Next we have uh, Jesus from Palm Bay, Florida. Jesus you're on the air. My guess is it's Jesus, but you (laughs) would
1: know that (laughs) And are you there Jesus?
2: yeah
4: yeah
3: hey pastors it it is jesus um but i usually get both um so my question today is when witnessing to other denominations how should we witness when it comes to doctrines and differences between doctrines
1: all right that's a good question you know, uh, first thing is if you're if you're talking to people, um, uh, you know, from a differing denomination, uh, you know, clearly everybody is part of a denomination because they believe certain things. They're sensitive to their beliefs. Um, first thing you want to do is be winsome, find common ground, show them that you love and respect them, even though you may disagree. It's okay to disagree without being disagreeable, and uh, then you might, you know, put them in a question in, in a position where you're saying, look, help me understand. Instead of saying, you know, what you believe about the Trinity, or what you believe about the resurrection, it's all wrong. Or what you believe about tongues, it's all wrong. Instead of coming off as an attack, you can come off and say, help me understand better what it is you believe. And then you kind of question them when they raise something, they say, now where's the verse for that? And so you do it in more of a, you know, a winsome uh, teaching way as opposed to clubbing a person with your opinions yeah
2: and you always want to everything that you share with people always have your bible verse your foundation so that they see that it's not your opinion that you're basing
1: it off of scripture right yeah i i i did a debate with another pastor it was a friendly debate and uh then afterwards someone brought to my attention they said doug you said well i believe and you should have said the bible says and I looked at that and I thought, you know, that's right. I had all the scriptures, and instead I said, I was saying, well, you believe this and I believe this, and I should have said, well, the Bible says this, because that's the final word in all of that. And uh, yeah, we appreciate your calling, Jesus. Um, by the way, I don't know if we ever gave out the number. You know, some callers popped up, and we just dove right in. But if you would like to be tonight part of tonight's program, there are lines open, and it's a free phone call. Just call eight hundred God says. That's eight 800- hundred. Four six three seven two nine seven. Not only are we on radio stations, both satellite and land-based stations around the country, but uh, we are streaming this live. If you want to watch what's happening here in the studio, we're on Amazing Facts Television. We're on Facebook. That's the Amazing Facts Facebook page. We're on the Doug Batchelor Facebook page, and maybe even YouTube. But um, so you can watch, you can listen, and call in with your questions. Yeah.
2: All right. So let's look at. We have a question here. This is Jerry from Texas. Jerry, you
4: are live. Hey, guys. Good evening. Thanks for taking my question. I have uh, two texts in Genesis, and the first text is Genesis Twenty-seven to thirty, and this is uh, uh, kind of a terrible time when Dinah, uh, Dinah went into the the land of the kingdom that they were they were staying, and um, Shechem fell in love with Dina, and uh, he took advantage of her, and of course the brothers didn't like it, and then. Uh, they, I don't know which one made a proposal that we we would be one people. You give us your daughter. Sounds like it
1: was either Simeon or Levi. We're not sure.
4: Yeah, Simeon and Levi were the ones that uh, uh, killed them. And uh, so that was the very thing. You know, Jacob said, you you make a stink of me and the people, you know. And mm-hmm. then Jacob moved on. And they took their women, their children, and their...
1: Uh, Cattle and well, all the booty. Yeah. Front.
4: Yeah. And where are those individuals in Genesis 46, 6, when Jacob goes down to Israel? I see no mention of them, of the 70 that went down to Egypt land.
1: You know, the 70 that are mentioned, I know this may sound terrible, but the 70 that are mentioned were all family members that are descendants of Jacob. That would be Jacob's sons, his uh, wives, His grandchildren, and at that point he had some great-grandchildren, probably, because the spread of years between Reuben and Benjamin is significant. Uh, So I think it doesn't count the slaves. That's unfortunate. And when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, it tells about them, and then later it mentions, and there came out a mixed multitude, some of the other servants of the Egyptians escaped with them. So I'm pretty sure that there were more than 70 people. That uh, came out of Egypt. I'm sorry, came from Israel to Egypt. But that's a great question. It does just mention, I think, the family members.
4: Well, Pastor, I like to give you difficult questions. Thanks. Doug. <laughs> well, you did a good job. His... <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> what do you think? Carlos? Okay, you guys be safe.
1: All right. Hey, thank you so much. We appreciate your call, Jerry. Thank you, Jerry.
4: Hey, thanks, guys. All right. Bye.
2: Bye, bye. Next, we have Robert from College Place, Washington. Robert, you are on the air hi there i was uh,
3: I found someone who believes um that when Jesus comes that we will reign with him on earth for one thousand years and um was just wanting to know how I've used some verses, but I was just wanting to know your take on
1: on that, yes. Very good. Uh, so during the the millennium, that's the thousand years, the word uh, millennium is a composite of thousand milli annum. If that's a thousand years, same same teaching. During that time, there are good Christians that believe that uh, the living and reigning with Christ and Pastor Carlos will, we're in chapter Revelation, Revelation 20, 20 yep. which verse though does it talk about? We'll live and reign with Christ for a thousand years. Verse four, the end verse of verse four. four. Yep. Thank you. Yeah, so they believe that means we're living and reigning with Jesus on earth. But the way they share that is that at the end of the the rapture and the end of the seven years of tribulation, Jesus literally comes and the righteous are reigning over the wicked for a thousand years. Now, I have absolutely no desire to reign over the wicked. Um, (laughs) Some believe that we're living and reigning with Christ here on earth over the wicked. Some believe that we're living and reigning with Christ in heaven. My belief, (laughs) this Bible says, (laughs) that um, we are caught up when Jesus comes. Mm -hmm. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place, I will take you to where I am that you may be also. In my Father's house are many mansions. We go up. And it's not until Revelation 21, the next chapter, the new Jerusalem comes comes down. So we are living and reigning, you know, Christ said, we're reigning in the new Jerusalem with him during that time testifying of what he did to redeem us. We're going to be uh, part of the reign working at the records and the books uh, of what's happened here on Earth. Um, so the idea that we're here on Earth reigning over the wicked, where we have immortal bodies, they've got temporal bodies where they die every 70 years or 80 years. It's just a really strange yeah. arrangement.
2: Yeah, and it also says in Revelation chapter uh, at the end of six, Revelation six, it says that the wrath of the Lord has come We know that the wrath of the Lord is the seven plagues of revelation that are going to undo the six days of creation. And so it would be impossible to live on this earth after that time period. There would be nothing to sustain human life.
1: Yeah. If you read in uh, Jeremiah chapter four, verse 23, Mm -hmm. and, uh, um, Pastor Carlos, you know, that verse where it says in Isaiah, I'll make the earth utterly empty. Uh, Isaiah Isaiah 24. All right. Let me read first. Uh, I'll let you look that one up. Okay. In, um, Jeremiah chapter 4 verse 23 listen to this I beheld the earth and indeed it was without form and void and the heavens and they had no light well that sounds like before creation mm-hmm. but keep reading I beheld the mountains and indeed they trembled and all the hills moved back and forth I beheld and indeed there was no man and all the birds of the heaven were fled and I beheld and the fruitful place was a wilderness a so listen And all its cities were broken down. Well, what caused this? Fruitful place, a wilderness, everything's broken down by the presence of the Lord and by his fierce anger. Now, why don't you read your verse, and then I'll comment on that.
2: Isaiah 24 says, Behold, the Lord makes the earth empty and makes it waste. So if he empties it, it's because it was filled. And then it jumps to verse number 4. It says, uh, verse 3, the land shall be entirely emptied and utterly plundered. The Lord has spoken. The earth warns and fades. When you read further down, verse 5, the earth is defiled under its inhabitants because they have transgressed the laws, broken the everlasting covenant, and the curse has devoured the earth. And the, the inhabitants of the earth are burned. And then the last part of verse 6 says, and a few men are left. That word in Hebrew, shawar, is like uh, Genesis, the uh, the remnant, right? There, mm-hmm. those that are protected
1: or sealed, yeah. In the sense, and then there's another verse where it says, uh, "There, the land is covered with the dead, and there's no one to mourn, lament, or bury them." Malachi, yeah, is that it? Malachi. So three, yeah. you have this several prophecies that talk about a time when the earth is vacated, and it's covered with the slain, and it's burnt. Well, that's after the Lord comes. We're caught up. We're living and reigning with Christ. Paul says the wicked are destroyed by the brightness of his coming. And uh, the earth is an abusos. That word means a bottomless pit for 1,000 years. Mm -hmm. It's a dark void. And we're living and reigning with Christ in glory. At the end of that time, we come down and he makes a new heaven, new earth. You know, know. we have a study guide that talks about 1,000 years of peace. And uh, maybe you could give the number again. We'll be happy to send you, Jerry uh, or Robert, um, a free copy of that if you just call this number or anyone who asks.
2: Yeah, 1-800-835-6747, 1-800-835-6747. It's there on the screen, and you can ask for Thousand Years of Peace, I think mm-hmm. it's called.
1: Yep, talks about the millennium.
2: All right. Thank you very much, Robert. Uh, next we have Jim from Indiana. Jim, hello, you're on the air.
4: My question is, in Revelations, one of uh, the angel with the seven vials. Now, is that there also the seven
1: plagues? Yes, it that tells... are coming out. And yes, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say those seven. Uh, those seven vials are poured out, and each one has a plague, so to speak. So it's like the wrath of God is being poured out.
4: Okay. Now, when do those start? Whenever they. Enact the Sunday law.
1: Well, the the seven last plagues uh, come when probation closes, and that's going to be um, during a time when um, it tells us that uh, those that are saved are saved in Revelation twenty two. Those that are lost are lost. The clean are clean. The unclean are unclean. And when everyone's made their decision one way or the other regarding the beast in his image, then God is going to say, "Okay, no sense for mercy to linger any longer." Everyone has decided what they're going to do. And at that point, the seven last plagues are poured out. So when they, when they reject the law of God um, and they put the laws of the beast in its place, then the plagues come.
2: Yeah, that's exactly what we read in Isaiah 24. It says they have, humans have made their decision to completely reject the covenant and the law of God. Mm-hmm. And so God says, I have nothing else to do. They won't listen to me. I've given them ample opportunity and so now comes judgment on this world of yeah. sin.
1: But the, yeah, the righteous are protected during that time. So when people hear about the seven last plagues, uh, believers are often terrified because they're very graphic. They're very much like the seven plagues that came on Egypt. And yet God preserved his people all through those plagues. Mm-hmm. So we don't, I don't ever worry about the plagues. Yeah. I, I'm more concerned with Doug being faithful day by day. And if I'm faithful day by day, I know God will get me through that time. Amen. Amen. What does it say? Psalm 91. Neither will any plague come nigh thy dwelling. A thousand shall fall at your
2: left, a ten thousand at your right hand, but none shall touch you, for the angels of the Lord shall be with you. That's right. Amen. All right. Now, our next question here, we have uh, from David from New York. David, good evening. You're on the air.
4: Yeah, my question is, what does the Bible
1: say about two first cousins getting married? All right. Well, I think according to the Bible... It was legal in the days of, um, Abraham because you have, um, well, what is it? Uh, Jacob married his first cousin when he married Rebecca and Isaac married his cousin. I said, Isaac, I should say Rebecca, Jacob, first cousin with Rachel and Leah. Mm -hmm. And in the beginning, when you think about it, God made Adam and Eve. They were technically brother and sister, same parents. And then when Cain took his wife, uh, obviously, he took one of his sisters. There was nothing wrong with that. Abraham married his half-sister. Um, back when humans' uh, blood and genes were so vital, there were no risks then of you know uh, having mutations that would cause weaknesses and problems. But as time went by, Moses said, you're not to look upon the nakedness of your sister. And he's insinuating that, you know, you're supposed to marry out of, away from the family tree as far as possible, but within the tribe or within the people, they weren't to marry foreigners.
2: Yeah. And still today, some people marry their first cousins.
1: Yeah. And it depends. A matter of fact, those states vary from, uh, those laws vary from state Mm -hmm. to state, but there are risks because I've done uh, evangelistic programs on some small islands in the South Pacific where there's not a big gene pool. And they have a lot of birth defects because they're all kind of marrying mm-hmm. relatives. And I've seen several times where the kids or people had six fingers on our six toes. And that is one of the signs of, um, you know, marrying close too close, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's probably healthier to look outside of the family. All right. Hey, thanks so much. Appreciate that, David. Thank hope you, it David. helps a little bit.
2: All right. Let's go to the next one. We have Chantel from the beautiful islands of the Bahamas. Hello, Chantel. Welcome. You're on the air. I have a
3: simple question. Um, I have a three-year-old niece um, who is reading, and she asked me a question yesterday. She wanted to know how God made rain, and I was stumped to give (laughs) an answer that was suited for someone her age. So I said I will ask Pastor Doug um, and Bible Answers Live how they would have answered that question for a three-year-old.
1: Well, that's a good question. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what happened with the geology of the earth uh, or the meteorology of the weather, but the Bible does say that before the flood, that it never rained on the earth. But God did make a mist, and there's several places in the tropics you still see that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's very humid. You'll see a mist come up from the ground, and it watered the earth. And um, but this envelope of water that God had, because it says He made the an atmosphere, heavens between the waters above and the waters below. There's some envelope of water, and that's actually very scientific because if you've got water that is polarizing the light and the heat, the whole planet would have been a similar temperature. And they find in Siberia and Antarctica, they find you know fossils of ferns and these tropical uh, animals and. They think that the whole earth must have shifted on its axis or something. But I think the whole world was a beautiful, habitable place. And what God did during the time of Noah to actually trigger the flood, I'm not sure, but he poked a hole in that envelope and it just and all it, it went, popped. It, yeah, it all came down. and But water also came up from below. It says yeah. the fountains of the deep were That's open. Right. So water shooting up. And then from then on, there was so much moisture in the atmosphere, it began to rain yeah.
2: It's uh, that would be Genesis chapter two verse six, Chantel. And uh, you next time you go to the supermarket, I don't know if uh, over there in the Bahamas, but when I go to the supermarket, you know how sometimes they have the little water.
1: Mister, that, that always reminds of me of
2: Genesis. So you can show them that and said this is how God used to water the 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 na- nature in the p- before the flood.
4: Okay, all right. Does that help? That helps. All yeah. right, thanks.
2: <laughs> Take care, Chantel. You have a good evening. Thank you, thank you. We you too. All right, next we have Travis from Lexington, South Carolina. Travis, you're on the air. My question is,
3: uh, it's a two-part question,
2: is it possible to achieve a sinless state here on
3: Earth? And if it is not possible, what are the implications of believing that it is possible?
1: All right, great question. Now, I I need to let you know in advance. We've got about a minute, so I'll do my best. Uh, Let me ask you a question. Do you believe the devil can tempt us to sin? 100%. 100%. Okay. Do you believe Jesus can keep us from sin?
3: I believe he can, yes.
1: Your answer is, your answer is slower. <laughs> so as much as we believe the devil can tempt us to sin, we need to have faith that uh, with God all things are possible and that through Jesus he can keep us from sin. So the fact is, if you ask the average church to be honest and raise their hands, how many feel sinless? No one's going to raise their hand because we all fall We sin and fall short of the glory of God. But we have a perfect example and there's no excuse for any sin. And the Lord can give us victory over any temptation. You can't name a sin now unless it's the unpardonable sin. But I know people who've overcome it. Whether it's drugs or drinking or cursing or whatever it might be. Uh, God can give victory in every hour. And we need to believe that. Now we're going to run out of time, Travis, and I'd hate to do that to you. But we have a book called, Is It Possible to Live Without Sinning? And Give them the number, and we'll go to our break. Yeah, so, uh,
2: Travis, you can call 1-800-835-6747 and ask for that that book, Is It Possible to Live Without Sinning?
1: And don't let the title scare you. It is really a good book. No, it's great. I actually read it once when I was flying. I put the plane on autopilot, and uh, I was really touched by it. Don't go away, friends. We're just going to take a little uh, break here, get a drink of water,
0: tell your friends to tune in, we'll be right back. Stay tuned. Bible Answers Live will return shortly. What if you could know the future? What would you do? What would you change? To see the future, you must understand the past. This intriguing documentary, hosted by Pastor Doug Batchelor, explores the most striking Bible prophecies that have been dramatically fulfilled throughout history. Kingdoms in Time. For more information, visit KingdomsInTime.com. I really wanted to start a new devotional habit, but life got in the way. Next thing I know, we're a month into the new year, and I'm like, what's the point of starting? Then I saw 365 amazing answers to big Bible questions. Each day is a single study, so you can start anywhere on any day and not miss a thing. They're crisp, clear, and enlightening. Get yours today by calling 800-538-7275 or visit afbookstore.com.
1: The Jews are some of the most unique and gifted people in the world. And even though Judaism is one of the smallest religions, about 16 million globally they still manage to have a profound impact on history wherever they go. Yet even though most of the Bible was written by Jews and Jesus himself was Jewish, the Jewish people can be among the most resistant to the Christian religion. Well friends, this is why Amazing Facts has recently produced a fascinating three-part DVD series called, Is Jesus Kosher for Jews? In these new programs, Steve Wolberg, Jeff Zerminski, and myself, all who share Jewish background, relate our personal miraculous journeys of faith in a winsome way. And we consider together the controversial question, are Jesus and Judaism compatible? You will personally be inspired by these life-changing stories. Call today, 800-538-7275 or
0: visit afbookstore.com. You're listening to Bible Answers Live! To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this evening's program, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, let's rejoin our hosts for more Bible Answers Live.
1: Hello friends, if you're just tuning in, this is Bible Answers Live, and uh, my name is Doug Bachelor. Carlos Munoz. And we're here to try and do our best to answer your Bible questions. We don't claim to know all the answers, but we've got the Bible in front of us. And we invite you to call in. We have some lines open if you want to call. The number is uh, one 800 god says That's 1-800-463-7297 with your Bible questions. You can watch on Amazing Facts Television. That's on Roku and as well as G19 satellites around the world. And uh, you can also watch on the Amazing Facts Facebook page, Doug Bachelor Facebook page, YouTube. And, you know, I, I want to tell everybody something coming up in ooh, two and a half, three weeks. Yep. Uh, if you've got a pencil, you might want to write this down. We are doing a full-scale uh, evangelistic program that is going to go through the primary teachings of the Bible, and it's called Panorama of Prophecy. We'll be exploring some of the main prophecies from the book of Daniel and Revelation. And uh, there's a whole new set of lessons we've just printed called Panorama of Prophecy. Mm-hmm. That begins October 15 and it goes through November 13. And it will be on uh, Amazing Facts TV. It'll be on 3ABN. It'll be on Hope Channel and Hope Channel International. Mm-hmm. And we're encouraging everybody to tune into the special live study. It'll be at the New Word Center. Here in Northern California, the Amazing Facts Word Center, and yours truly is going to do his best to unpack these things. So keep it in prayer. Go to panoramaofprophecy.com, panoramaofprophecy.com, and you'll find more details how you can invite people into your home or your church and say you want to join us for a Bible study. Yeah, and they'll be blessed.
2: Translate into Spanish.
1: Yeah, we've got a translator. It'll all be in Spanish too. So uh, we hope that uh, you'll listen in and encourage your friends to do that.
2: All right. Excellent. So let's go back to the lines. We have uh, Brian. You're calling from Hobbs, New Mexico. You are on the air, Brother Brian.
3: Hi, Pastor Doug. I had a question uh, regarding John 1, where it says Jesus is the Word. Mm -hmm. And my question is, what does it mean that Jesus is called the Word? What does it mean to call him the Word?
1: Well, and then, yeah, in the Gospel of John, it says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us Um, abstract thought is communicated by intelligent creatures through these sounds that we're making that give us understanding of truth and uh, it's amazing that you can close your eyes and you hear words and you can have pictures in your mind god conveys truth through words and the message of god to man was communicated through the life of jesus It's interesting. We have no idea what Jesus looks like in spite of the typical artist conceptions of what he looks like. What changed the world was what Jesus said. And Christ even said, you know, the things I'm teaching, this is going to go into all the world. And he said, you'll even be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And he knew that that message would be a message that would go global. And it did. So the message of God was in flesh, it lived out in the life of Christ. Christ said, if you want to know what God's like, look at me. In the things he taught, in the life he lived, uh, he was the message of God.
2: Yeah. You know, in Spanish, it's interesting. It doesn't use the word word. It uses the word verb. Oh, really? Jesus is the verb. So a verb is like. It's more active. Yeah. It's the center of a sentence. There's no action without it. So it's the manifestation. That's good.
1: Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And then even in, um, where is it? In Revelation 19, where Jesus comes riding on a white horse and on his thigh it says the Word of God. And so that's a consistent uh, title for Christ through the Bible. Does that help at all, Brian?
3: Yeah, it does. Um, so when we call when we say that, um, when we call the Bible the Word of God, mm-hmm. is it is it the same thing or is that different?
1: Well, the message of God is contained in the Bible. And keep in mind, when Jesus lived and he told us about the Word and reading the Word, there was no New Testament because that's later written about his life. So... Um, The Old Testament and the New Testament are certainly the Word of God. And every time Jesus was tempted by the devil, he quoted from the Bible. It is written. And that's where our strength is. It's in the Word.
3: Okay. All right. Well, thank you. All right. Hey,
1: Thank you. Thanks so much. We have a free book we'll be happy to share with you, Brian. And it's a book that I wrote about the Bible, and it's called The Ultimate Resource. And if you'd like a free copy of that, then... 1-800-835-6747. 1-800-835-6747 one
2: 800 one 800 You can call and ask for that book. All right. All right. Next we have Eduardo from New Jersey. Good evening, Eduardo. Good evening, Pastor Carlos. Good evening, uh, Pastor Doug. Yeah. Um, so I had a question
3: on Romans 9, um, the whole chapter, but just w- this one verse. Uh, where it talks about Jacob, I loved, Esau, I hated. Mm-hmm. W- who are these vessels of wrath uh, fitted to destruction? When it says Romans nine twenty two, what if God, to show his wrath, make his power known, and endure it with the much-luck suffering, the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction?
1: Well, first, what is a vessel? He tells us earlier that you know God is the potter, we are the clay. God can make different kinds of vessels. Um, and so vessels are talking about people. He wants to fill our vessel with his spirit. And uh, he wants us to be vessels... Uh, containers that are for his use to uh, communicate his truth and to pour ourselves out for good in the world. So we're the vessels. When he says vessels of wrath, he's talking about vessels that can't be used. Now there's, uh, in the law of Moses in Leviticus, they had a law that said that, um, you know, you could clean a vessel, but if certain vessels were exposed to anything that was unclean, if you opened up a basket and it had mice in it, they said, burn it, don't use it, don't try and wash it. Uh, Some vessels were to be destroyed because they were unclean. And if we refuse to allow the Lord to clean us, we become vessels that are fit for destruction. But I actually want to take you back a little bit because there's a very common mistake that people make when they read here in Romans where Paul says, you know, Jacob I've loved and Esau I've hated. He's actually quoting from Malachi, uh, where it says, when he says Jacob, Jacob was a, a term meaning Israel, the people. Esau meant Edom or the Edomites. And the reason God said, I love Jacob and I've hated Esau is because uh, Jacob, he wanted the blessing and his people, uh, they were doing more to pursue God. The Edomites turned from God and turned to paganism. It wasn't that before they were born, God liked Jacob and hated Esau. God, like that Jacob was pursuing the spirit and Esau was pursuing the flesh, and God hated that. That is still true today. God wants us to, it says in Romans 8, if you live under the flesh, you will die. But if you live for the spirit, you will live. So Romans 9 is expounding on that.
2: Yes, and that verse is Malachi chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 Yep. for uh, Eduardo. Did that help, Eduardo? Yeah, that helps so much. And I also, I had just one more verse. Uh, what okay. is like Proverbs sixteen four, where it says, "The Lord
3: had made all things for Himself. Yeah, even the wicked for the day of evil."
1: Yeah, well, I, God did not just say, "You know, I think I'm going to create some wicked people so that I can burn them for entertainment." Um, it it's basically saying that I've even created people who would choose wickedness because I I create everybody free, and so God made people with a free will. Even Lucifer, God made a beautiful angel. He chose to become a devil. And so God is saying, look, I make everything. He's the ultimate creator and even makes creatures that will choose not to love him. But the Bible's clear, God is good. And every gift of God is good. And God doesn't tempt anyone with evil. So God did not make somebody who would deliberately sin or then God becomes an accomplice. Mm -hmm. And just think about the implications of that. That God would make a creature that had no choice but to sin, and then he's going to punish him for sinning
2: it would ultimately be his fault then
1: yeah it, it, yeah, so we got to be careful a lot of, some churches teach that that's a dangerous doctrine,
2: all right, thank you, eduardo. Yeah. Our next caller is Rolando from brooklyn new york that's my my birth city, Rolando, you're on the air
4: hi, thank you for taking my call um like I said to the lady earlier um. First, I want to say that I believe that God knows everything that's happening, that's going to happen. But mm-hmm. that said, now, Judas been vilified for betraying Christ. But with God knowing everything, was that not his purpose in life? Wasn't he destined to do that?
1: No, that's a great question, and it's connected with the former question. Now, think of it like this. God is a weatherman. Just use this as a rough illustration. And he flies in a helicopter. And from the perspective of the helicopter, he can see two cars heading on the same road. The the traffic uh, signs are out and they're going into a tunnel and there's only one lane. He can say, well, there's gonna be an accident in the tunnel. Before the accident happens, he can see there's gonna be an accident. He's not making the accident happen. He's just saying, I know what's gonna happen. Jesus uh, said, I know Judas is gonna betray me. He didn't make Judas betray him, but God knows everything, so he knows what's going to happen. He lets his creatures be free, and you know he—he some parents have had kids and they say this is a kid that just is really rebellious, and I kind of know what direction he's going to go. I don't want him to, but that child has free choice, and God did not want uh, Adam to sin or Eve. So because God knows something doesn't mean He's making it happen. Jesus, He wept over Judas. He washed His feet. He longed to have Him repent, but He just knew that He would ultimately harden His heart.
2: Yeah proactive in yeah. our decisions. Yeah, exactly. Amen. Did that help Rolando? Yeah. I guess he's has off. Okay. All right. Next we have uh, Saith from Texas. Good evening, Safe.
1: You're on the air.
5: Hi. My question is, how do we know when the seventh last plague started?
1: All right. You know, that's a, that's a good question. One of the seven last plagues, it says the Euphrates River would dry up. Mm-hmm. I think that's the sixth plague. Mm-hmm. Well, it's very interesting. I turned on the news a couple of years ago, and CNN and Fox, major news networks, yep. they said the Euphrates River is drying up because ISIS had captured the floodgates up higher and they were turning them off, in the, yep. and uh, the river was going dry, and they're basically trying to starve their enemies. And uh, folks were going, "Oh, that's the sixth plague. Next plague is Jesus comes." <laughs> but um, now the water's got rivers got a little more water in it. I do think it's interesting that is one. That's one plague that may have a literal and a spiritual fulfillment as well, but you know we certainly have not seen waters turning to blood. Uh, you know we've not seen the whole world covered with a noisome sore. Uh, yeah, COVID, but not a noisome sore. And so, uh, and then it says men will be scorched with great heat, and I think that's the fourth plague. And so, um, you know we haven't seen those things happen. I also think that the the spiritual events that happen just before Jesus comes talks about a law that everybody must worship the beast in his image or they can't buy or sell and they'll be killed. That has not happened. No. Plagues come after that.
2: Yep. And also there's, there's no repentance after the plagues start to fall. So some people ask, is COVID one of the seven plagues? They're like, well, I, more people are repenting now and, and coming to the Lord than ever. So that shows that we're still, we haven't gotten to that point it yet. It
1: is a plague. Yeah. And Jesus said, there'll be pestilence in the last days. So it certainly fulfills that. But I don't believe it's one of the seven last plagues.
2: Yes, exactly. All right, thank you, Saith. Next, we have Edna from Michigan. Edna, good evening. You're on the air.
5: Good evening, guys. Hi. My question is Matthew five twenty one and twenty two. Mhm. So, do you want me to read that, or do you want to?
1: You can go right ahead.
5: Okay. Five twenty one. You've heard that it was said to those of old. You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you, verse 22, that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of counsel. But whoever says, You fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. So, my question is the very last. If if a person is a fool, and what's wrong with saying that they are... Hellfire is pretty drastic. Yeah. So what's wrong with calling them a fool?
1: Uh, yeah, I know what you're saying. there, And there are actually places where James says in... Um, oh, I forget which verse it is, but he says, Oh, uh, foolish man. And then Jesus said, fools and slow of heart to believe. And if you read in Proverbs, Proverbs talks a lot about the foolish man. The fool is said in his heart, there is no God, David said. So are all they, they all going to hell because they said that? You know, the word there that Jesus uses for fool, it means they call a person worthless. And I think he's basically saying that if you tell a person that they're not worthy of being saved, that they have no value to God, um, you know, that's really an insult on the creator. And uh treating people, I don't think I mean sane at one time, because that's not the unpardonable sin, but treating people like they have no value before God, um that's yeah, that's very dangerous.
5: So what I hear you saying is, um, because God made that person, that they are worthy of his sacrifice, and so therefore, I should not think him to be a fool.
1: Yeah, or don't don't think him to be saying? worthless. And, you know, worthless even in saying. English, we've got some words that, depending on the context, they have two different meanings. And so this is one of those words in, in Greek that can mean a silly person. And let's face it, there's a lot of silly people, their behavior. But then using that same word, it can also mean a person that has no value. And so you don't okay, want to tell I a understand. person they have no value. That's, okay. I think, the context of what Jesus is saying. Thank well, you. I
5: appreciate you telling me because I have, I've read this over and over, and I just did not understand it, but now I
2: do. Thank you. Amen. Thank All you. right. Next we have uh, Tydian, Tidian from Illinois. Tidian, you're on the air. Did I say that correctly? It's uh, Tydion.
1: Tydion. All right. And your question?
3: Um, so my question is, is that I'm in kind of a predicament, but the general question is, is the unpardonable sin? Because I heard about this, I believe, like a year or two ago, and it just kept clouding my mind. And I know, and I essentially know what it means. And essentially, I know what it means. I know how you commit it. But the thing is, though, is that I've been going through a lot of struggles lately because I don't know any other Seventh-day Adventist, like, Christians around me. And even if I do, I can't go to church or whatever because I don't drive, but that's mostly due to my fault. But my question is, is that if you committed the unpardonable sin, would the character that God has um, been making you into still remain, or would it completely disappear?
0: All right,
1: um... Let me see if I understand what you're saying. So, if you've committed the under, unpardonable sin, are you asking? Does that mean that you get any credit for your past development?
3: No, 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 um, no. Essentially, no. Essentially, so like, I'll do a little bit of short story so that. I'll, well, we got ma- to
1: see summarize it as quickly as you can because we got a few people lined up. Yeah. Down.
3: Yeah. Um, so essentially. So essentially, I've been struggling with sin a lot, but I've had victories over, you know, like I'm a most sin. I don't play violent video games much anymore, let alone any anything else. And I've gained the victory over pornography. Essentially, that really doesn't bother me anymore. But it's essentially got to the point to where I asked God to put me through a trial, and you know, it's a bat on me with fire, basically meaning put me through trial. And then it literally got to the point where I think He did. And then I've been attacked mentally that, you know, like, it's just a, you know, like, doubting God, essentially. And then that's led to me thinking I committed the unpardonable sin, and that's just been plaguing me. But for the past couple of days, I felt encouraged, and I even felt the Holy Spirit tugging my heart on Friday, saying, go to Jesus. And then now... Like the word of God is hitting me, kind of like what you brought up earlier, like with the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, I believe it was Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, it was something about Abraham. All right, so, if,
1: if we were to summarize this, are you asking then, how do I know that I've not committed the unpardonable sin?
3: Basically, yes.
2: Okay. All
1: right. That's that's a good question. You know, you're not alone out there because people come to Jesus and they find themselves struggling with sin for years, sometimes, and well, their whole life. You're going to struggle with temptation. But uh, does that mean then that, well, if I'm still being tempted after being a Christian 30 years, sometimes they fall in the same area over and over again? Does that mean I've committed the unpardonable sin? I'll say no. Uh, Because um, as long as there's a devil in the world, you're going to be battling temptation. Um, You want to continue to nurture the Holy Spirit in your life. When you are convicted, you repent of your sins. And then by God's grace, you strive to turn. Repentance mean, means a sorrow for sin and a willingness to turn away. Uh, do you see growth? The Bible says grow in the grace and, and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, you know, are you seeing any progress? I'm encouraged because I, I see spiritually that I'm growing. I think I'm praying more now than I ever used to. And, and um, I, I see progress in my life. But boy, every day, I was talking on the way to the radio program with a friend that picked me up. I said, I got a battle every day with not eating too much. And it's been that way for years. Because, you know, if I just go with my taste buds, I'll eat twice as much. (laughs) So you're never going to get away from having some battles. And don't get discouraged. Now, we have a free book we'll send you. And it's called The Unpardonable Sin. I think you'll find that encouraging. Yes. Tideon, Tideon. Tideon, yeah. Yeah. All right. Hey, thank you for your call. We we'll see if we can get a couple more in before uh, we run out of time here.
2: Yeah, sure. Let's go to, uh, uh, Ruth from Denton, Texas.
1: Yeah. My question
5: is, uh, are the seven less plugs going to be all over the world or like separately in different areas, areas of the world?
1: Yeah. Good question. Um, You know, even when the seven plagues fell on Egypt, it seemed like different areas in Egypt had different intensity. Uh, The Lord spared the land of Goshen during the last seven plagues. When it tells us that the earth is going to be scorched with great heat under the fourth plague, I suspect it's going to be worse at the equator than it's going to be in Antarctica. Uh, And, uh, you know, it talks about, um, of course, fresh water turning to blood, the seas turning to blood. Um, so, you know, I don't know that they're going to be universal in nature. Jesus said that except those days be shortened, no flesh. That means good, bad, anybody, no animals, nothing would survive. So it's going to be pretty serious.
2: Yeah. I think they're progressive because mm-hmm. if they fell on the, on the earth, they'll all, all covered the whole earth and that the be
1: completely wiped out yeah. humanity. So exterminate humanity. So they're probably going to be coming in different levels at different times. Well, we know they are at different times. It's going to be a sequence, and, you know, maybe they'll just start to recover from one, and then another one hits. Yeah,
2: just like in Egypt. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Ruth. Appreciate your call. All right. We have uh, Kaleb from New York. Kaleb, welcome. You're on the air.
1: Hello.
2: Yes, my question is about
3: someone asked me today, and I was talking Bible with someone today, and I couldn't answer this question. My question is, what about people that live in tribes, tribes? Um, people who don't, who don't know about Jesus Christ. People, because I remember a few years ago, this guy went to try and preach to this tribe, and then they killed him. These mm-hmm. people don't know. They don't. They never heard of Jesus Christ.
1: What happened to these people? Are you wondering, uh, is everybody lost who never heard about Jesus? Yes. And, you know, you've got these people that are in, you know, there might be aborigines in... Australia or some of the natives in the jungles of Brazil or in Africa that never heard about Jesus for all those millennia, are all of them automatically lost? And I would say no, uh, because, you know, Jesus, when he began his ministry, he said, uh, preaching to his people in his own home church, he said, there were many lepers in the land in the days of Naaman, but none of them was cleansed except the Syrian, not a Jew. And he said, there were many widows in the land in the days of Elijah, but uh, Elijah wasn't sent to any Jewish widows. He was sent to a Phoenician widow. And Jesus is emphasizing that there are many that will come from the east and the west and sit down in the kingdom. There are people, I think, in foreign lands. Now, most people are not going to be saved. Jesus said, the road to destruction is wide because they did not surrender to the will of the Lord. But Christ is pretty clear in John, and I think it's chapter five, where he said the hour is coming in which those that are in the grave will hear his voice and come forth. They that have done good, the resurrection of life. They that have done evil, the resurrection of damnation. There are some people maybe in foreign lands that um, they're saved by Jesus. No one is saved without Jesus. But they listen to the voice of Christ speaking through providence or angels. And they, they walked in the light they had. There's nothing that would prevent God from saving those people. So I think the Holy Spirit, doesn't Paul say in Romans 1 that even the barbarians who maybe did not hear the gospel from an apostle or preacher, they've heard God speaking through his creation. And so they're with, without excuse. So God has spoken to people. Uh, it's just never been as direct. Missionaries are so important because it is such a direct way of communicating the full gospel. But, you know, I think there'll be some people that will be saved from these dark mm-hmm. corners of the earth.
2: Yeah, and for God to judge everybody, as it says in the in the Bible, then everybody had he had to reveal himself in some way, shape, or form, either through creation, Romans one, mm-hmm. uh, through his Son, primarily through his Word. So everybody, in some way, shape, or form, has had a revelation of God. Yeah, and Christ. they've rejected it or or
1: mm-hmm. acknowledged it. And Jesus said, uh, "If you had not seen, you would have no sin. But now that you see, your sin remains." So to whom much is given, much is required. That people that know the full gospel are going to be held more accountable than those who've had very little knowledge of these things. All right, you know what? I'm looking at the clock, and uh, I I don't think we can do a question in 54, 53, 52. Let me tell you what's (laughs) coming up, friends. Don't go away. We are doing more Bible questions, but just so you understand the mechanics of this, we're on not only a number of land-based stations and the internet around the world, but we're on satellite across North America, and the time clocks between these uh, two stations are a little bit different. We're going to be going off the air with our satellite friends in just a moment, but uh, everyone else, stay tuned. Pastor Carlos and I are going to be going through a number of rapid fire questions in just a moment. And if you want to e- email us, we're going to be dealing with questions that came in during the email time. If you want to email questions to us, uh, you can email amazing facts at our Bible Answers live address and say, I'd like you to answer this question during your fast fire uh, program and at the end. So coming back in just a few moments with more Bible questions.
0: Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. We hope you understand your Bible even better than before. Bible Answers Live is produced by Amazing Facts International, a faith-based ministry located in Granite Bay, California.
1: All right, we're back. Yes. So this is what they normally do during the bloopers and the credits. We're going to do questions real quick. We've got like two minutes and see what, how many we can get through, Pastor All right, Carlos. right, let's
2: do quickly, uh, this is from uh, John, Joanne in England. She says, can you please throw some light on Jude 1.13? Uh, well, there's only one chapter, Jude 1.13. Uh, we know that there is no eternal damnation for the wicked, yet the verse sp- seems to imply that God will punish the wicked forever in a place of darkness. Could you help me understand this?
1: Yeah, well, it's talking about, um, it says, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever? Well, if you've got blackness of darkness, that's oblivion. You don't see anything. You don't know anything. And it's basically saying that the wicked will experience eternal judgment. Uh, They're, you know, uh, brought into non-existence, the blackness of darkness. And they don't see God. They don't see each other. They don't know anything. And so w- truth and realization is compared to light, this is the opposite of that. Eternal death. Next on has, why was Moses punished so harshly
2: for striking instead of speaking, while David was punished so lightly for adultery and murder?
1: Well, M- Moses was treated um, severely because here is the leader of the people, the mediator between God and man. God told him clearly to speak to the rock. And God later said to Moses, he said, you're being punished because you did not glorify me before the people. And God ultimately did raise Moses from the dead, and he did let him see the promised land from Mount Nebo. David was punished harshly. He not only lost the illegitimate child, he lost three other sons, the respect of the people, and uh, yeah, he spent seven days on his face crying.
2: Yeah. Next we have Mel asking, My Christian husband left the church and had an affair during the end of our marriage. I too started a short affair and committed adultery. Will the Lord judge us the same for breaking the marriage vow?
1: Well, all sin is sin, but I'm not going to be judging anyone's heart right now because in a situation like this there's going to be a lot of circumstantial uh, evidence that are differences that I'd recommend you read the book that I wrote and you can send for it. It's called Marriage, Divorce and Remarriage. A lot of verses deal with that subject there.
2: All right. Then we have here from New Zealand. Russell says, when Jesus said he will be with us until the end of the age, does that mean he will leave us at some stage? I thought he was with us forever.
1: Well, yeah, he will be with us forever. I think the time we're worried about is not when we get to heaven. I think the context is the people were worried that he was going to go to heaven and forget about them. He said, no, I'm never going to leave you. I'll be with you all through the trials of this world. And friends, wherever you are, he's with you right now. And this really is
0: coming to the conclusion of our program. Go to amazingfacts.org. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, Please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time.